This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For November 23rd, 2018. In this week's episode, we'll take a close look at some of the new security features in iOS 12 and macOS Mojave. Plus, answers to questions from our listeners about using Activity Monitor, hardware bugs, and the safety of so-called free media sites. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. It's Thanksgiving week. It's Black Friday today that this episode of the Intego Max podcast is released. I hope you're all relaxed and taking some time off and digesting and getting ready to eat some leftovers. And we thought we would start the show with a number of questions that we've gotten from listeners recently. First of all, we want to congratulate Mark in Japan for being the October Intego podcast survey winner. If you go to our website, you will find links to the survey that we've been running for a while. And each month we give someone a $100 Visa gift card. Mark had two questions for us. The first is, you often hear about checking your activity monitor, but what does a layman look for when trying to spot things that would indicate power hogs? Activity monitor is a utility that's on every Mac. If you go to your applications folder and then the utilities folder inside there and launch activity monitor, you'll see six tabs and each one shows the activity that's currently occurring on your Mac. You can see CPU, memory, energy, disk, network, and cache. And cache is actually something that's new in Mojave. It is. And cache actually isn't something very useful for most users. And in fact, network isn't either. And well, disk isn't that useful because it only says how much has been written by a specific process. And you don't really need to know that. What is useful, though, is the energy tab. It shows you the current energy impact and the average energy impact of apps and processes. Now, an app is, well, we're talking on Skype. An activity monitor is an app, and mail is an app, and Safari is an app. Processes are things that run in the background that won't necessarily have Windows, but still will be using power. This is really good to look at when you've got a laptop and the charge isn't lasting very long. The average energy impact goes back over, I believe it's 12 hours. So if your Mac has been losing power very quickly, you can find the culprit here. It's often apps like Skype or if you use the Slack app, it's apps that are constantly sending and receiving data. Whereas Safari, if you've loaded pages and there's nothing active going on, it's not going to use much energy after the pages are loaded. In fact, you'll notice on, on, on that energy tab that there's a column for app nap and some apps will go into a, a more restful state when they're in the background. <laughs> Indeed. And, and so that's, that's something that, of course, uh, we want developers to take advantage of because you don't want things to just be hogging memory constantly when, you know, when you're not actively using them. There's another interesting column there called preventing sleep. Now, if you have a Mac that doesn't go to sleep, you'll find which apps, if it says yes in that column, you'll find that these apps could prevent your Mac from going to sleep. Finally, the first tab is CPU, and that's probably the most important one. You'll see there are a number of columns, and the, the best one to sort by is the first one, percentage of CPU. And you want to click that column to make sure that the carrot is pointing down. So the app using the most CPU is at the top. If an app is using too much CPU, it's going to slow down your Mac. But currently, let's see, Skype 
Audio Hijack, which we used to record the podcast about 17%, etc. My CPU is being used at 120th of its capacities right now. Yeah, and this is actually someplace that you can go to see if there's some process that's really hogging a lot, which sometimes cryptocurrency miners will. For example, if you are on a page that's got you know a miner running in the background, your computer may start to, to feel a little slower. If you've got a computer with fans in it, then the fans might start to, to get a little bit loud. And when you go to activity monitor, one thing that you'll probably notice is that the CPU is gonna be a little higher than usual. And depending on your computer, it's gonna vary what the usual amount of CPU is. It's something that you might want to check out when you're not having a problem, so you can kind of get a pretty good idea of how much CPU your apps normally take. But if you do happen to have a cryptocurrency miner running in the background on a web page, it's going to take significantly more CPU to run that browser. One thing to note is that the percentage of CPU is not 100. It's 100% for each of the cores that your processor has. So if you have a two-core processor, the total would be 200%. If you have a four-core processor, 400%, et cetera. So I'm seeing 35 and 16 and 18, but I have a four-core processor in my iMac. So that's barely a blip on the processor. If you do find something that's overusing the processor, you can click it and then click the little X button in the top left of the toolbar to quit it or to try to force quit it. And if you find something that's stuck, a process that is just frozen, it'll show up in red, in most cases, you can force quit it using that X button, but some cases you can't. You actually have to restart your Mac. Unless you want to get really geeky and you could pull out the terminal. No, and... no, no, no. We don't want to recommend that. <laughs> there are ways you can use terminal and send commands and do things like that, but that's not... Using the terminal like that can be a little bit dangerous. So. Yeah, that's one reason we don't really recommend that often because you can make a typo and delete everything on your Mac. Okay, so Mark's second question. The new MacBooks, MacBook Air, and iPad are out, but I've heard you should hold off a few months before buying one, as there are sometimes initially hardware bugs. You know, I can't remember the last time I've bought an Apple device that had a specific hardware issue. It's true that sometimes a new operating system comes out, and if you don't want to be on the cutting edge, you don't necessarily have to update it in the first week, because there will be a supplemental update after that. I can't remember anything where there were hardware bugs that caused problems with new devices. Can you, Josh? Um, not off the top of my head. I feel like it has happened before, but I don't think it's happened in recent history. So if you want to wait, sure. I mean, maybe wait a week or two and just see if there are a lot of widespread reports about, you know, a hardware issue. But it's probably not something you need to worry too much about. Apple's hardware quality control is usually pretty good. Yeah, I, I think the last one that I can remember, this goes back a while, the iPhone that didn't to have a good connection. And so Steve Jobs told people they were holding it wrong. And <laughs> I'm not sure that that's something that was easy to fix. You remember they gave people those free bumpers yeah. to put around the devices. Which iPhone was this, the 4? Yeah, it was the 4. Because I actually had one. You did. Did you get the free bumper? I think what I did was I, I got I got the free bumper and I got a film that you put right. on the back that had like my custom logo or whatever on it. Your so. Josh logo. Yeah, the Josh Meister. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> I had on the back of my phone. Because apparently I'm kind of a narcissist. I don't know. <laughs> we have another question from Jean-Francois, who is saying that his family spends a certain amount of time using a site called, we won't mention the name, it's full of free films, and they just watch them, they stream them from this site. He's wondering how dangerous this is. He says there's no advertising on the pages. Maybe the browser is mining cryptocurrency. You know, how safe are these types of sites? First of all, 
Well, they're not entirely legal. We'll leave that up to you where you are with your moral compass and the laws of your country. But I would just right off the bat say that nothing is free. If it's free, then you're giving up something to compensate for it, whether it be data or your computer's processor for crypto mining. Well, and consider that it's not free for them to run the website. So if you're not seeing ads, and especially if you're not seeing ads and you're not using an ad blocker, then there's probably something else going on. Like like he suggested, maybe there's a cryptocurrency miner embedded in the browser, which would make sense because they want you to stay on their page for a couple of hours while you're watching a movie. And in the meantime, they can be making money from you, potentially, if you happen to mine a, a, a bit of cryptocurrency in the background. So, yeah, be careful. I, I've actually, purely for research purposes... You know, not because I was seeking, you know, a, a movie and and wanted to to find a free place to find to watch it yes, online. Josh, you just you just read the articles, Josh. It's true. <laughs> okay, purely for research purposes, I've checked out some of these sites in the past because I was genuinely curious about what their business model is, how they are able to operate, and are they any good? And are there some dangerous things that could happen when you go to these sites? And the kinds of things that, that I ran into a lot of, some of those sites don't actually have the movies. They pretend like they do. And then you they kind of give you the, the runaround and they make you click on a bunch of things and they redirect you through a whole bunch of advertising affiliate links and things. And then ultimately you don't actually get the movie. Sometimes they actually give you malware because they say, oh, your Flash player needs to be updated. In order to watch the movie, Yeah, you, oh yeah, in order to watch this movie, you got to update your Flash player. And people are so conditioned, or at least in the past, have been really conditioned to, oh, my Flash player needs to be updated. What I always recommend to people now is, if you really have to use Flash player, use the Chrome browser, because it's built in. At least until Adobe kills Flash and Google will take it out of the product at that point, but... If you need Flash, use Google Chrome, because that means you do not have to ever download Flash Player. And so you'll know that if some website is trying to give you Flash Player and you're using Chrome, you know that's probably a malicious download and you should not install it. Okay, so like Josh, I have done a bit of research in this area, but for a very specific reason. I've written a couple dozen books about using the Mac and about Apple software. And like many people in my profession, I have a Google Alert set up to let me know when there's a new web page or an article talking about me. And a number of my books are ebooks that are available only in that format. And I would often see these things sometimes a dozen times a week that this book is on a given site at a .ru domain, you know, in Russia or something. Mm -hmm. So you go to the site and, okay, if you click this, you're going to be able to download the book. And then it redirects you to another site. And then another one, like you said, and then eventually they try to get you to sign up for something. Mm -hmm. They try to get you to give up your email address. And, you know, it could be as innocuous as they're assuming that so many people reuse the same email address and password combination that if they get it on that website, they can try it on others. They may sell it to spammers, you know. But I, I never went through the process to get one of my books for free to actually see what happens at the end. Whenever I download a free ebook or white paper or something like that and they require an email address, 
what I like to do is there, there are actually some websites out there that you can get like a throwaway email address. And it's kind of funny the way that these work, because if you know the username, anybody can just log into that email account, that quote unquote email account. It's sort of just a temporary account that only exists for a short period of time. And then any emails that get sent to that will be deleted. But if it's if it's a one-time thing and you just want that download link and they will only send it to you via email, you can give them a throwaway address and you know get your download link and then not have to worry about getting spam from them. I hate companies that do that. <laughs> I just downloaded some software this morning, a demo version of some software. And rather than having a normal link on a web page, you have to give up your email address. They send you an email. You click the link. I, I just find that dishonest. But basically, this means the company's going to keep harassing me if I don't buy the software. And that's not that's not good karma, I think. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the great new security features in iOS 12 and macOS Mojave. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Indigo's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So, Josh, are you up to date on all your devices with iOS 12 and macOS Mojave? Um, iOS 12, yes. Uh, Mojave, not quite. Well, but... I know you have that old iMac that can't go any further than macOS horse and buggy. <laughs> have you updated your main Mac to Mojave? Yes. So I, I'm okay. I'm running Mojave on my main computer, at least, which is which is good. Now, this is something that I think is important to note, you know, and we've mentioned it before, but iOS... Only the current version of iOS, only the latest version, continues to get security updates, whereas you can kind of hang back on, right now it would be macOS High Sierra or macOS Sierra. Those two versions are still getting at least some security updates from Apple. It may not necessarily be every security bug that's getting patched, that's something to be aware of, but at least you do get still get some security updates from Apple for those operating systems. So if you've got a lot of Mac apps that you're not sure if they're Mojave compatible, you can wait a little while and still get some updates. Well, you know, it's an interesting question. I, when I updated to Mojave, I generally update to the latest Mac operating system when the Golden Master comes out. That's the final release version, and it usually comes out about a week or 10 days before the official release. 
I did not find a single app that was not compatible with Mojave. I, I think in this transition, there weren't any problems. There is an issue with 32-bit and 64-bit apps and plugins where you'll get an alert saying that it may not be compatible with the Mac, but they still run. Uh, I believe they won't run anymore in the next version of the operating system. But other than that, I haven't had any apps that didn't run that weren't compatible. Uh, you know, I remember years in the past when you'd launch a certain app and it would simply crash because there was a serious problem. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of think that has something to do with Apple making, you know, these yearly updates. So they're more incremental usually than they have been in some points in the past. Yeah. Like there, there were some really big operating system upgrades from a behind the scenes perspective from uh, 10 4 to 10.5 to 10.6 to 10.7, those were all very different. And you were a lot more likely back in those days to have something break between the operating system upgrades. Now, you know, that Apple is on this yearly cycle, they're introducing new features every year, but the, the base, the core of the operating system mostly stays pretty similar from one version to the next. So among the new security and privacy features, and I'll link in the show notes to two articles I've written on the Intego Mac security blog, one about iOS 12 and one about macOS Mojave. The one that I am just loving is all these new password features. This is making my life so much easier when I go to log into a website, when I get two-factor codes by SMS. You know, we constantly say how important it is to have strong passwords, and we have constantly had these hurdles making it hard to use strong passwords. And now, finally, they've integrated this into the operating system. So, for example, when you go to log into a website, let's take iOS as an example. If you go to log into a website and you've already saved credentials, a username and a password, they'll show up in the quick entry bar that's just above the keyboard. You'll also see a little key icon to the right of that. If you tap the password suggested, your iOS device will either tell you to authenticate using Touch ID or Face ID. It'll automatically enter the password and you go in. Now, if you don't want to use that password, let's say you have multiple logins for a given site, you tap the little key and you get a dialogue that shows any username and password combinations for the website, but also gives you links to tap to go to iCloud Keychain to search for a specific password or even a third-party password manager like 1Password, LastPass, and Dashlane. Yeah, th this is something that I'm really, really happy that Apple has built into the operating system now because this is one of those things that people ask about a lot. They want to know, what password manager should I be using? When, when we tell them, yeah, you should be using a password manager because it's going to help you to not have the same password on every website. And they go, well, what should I be using? Well, I can tell you which one I use and what I know other people are using, but there's several, you know, at least, at least a few good options out there. And I can't tell you that one is going to be better than another for you. It's kind of something that you need to research on your own is what I tell people. And now, now that Apple has this built in, if you're an Apple user, Apple has basically just given you a password manager. In fact, it's not basically, this is, that's, that's exactly what this is. So it's super handy if you're, I mean, it kind of locks you into Apple's ecosystem if you're not already pretty locked in. But, um, but this is a great thing, I think, for, for users because now you don't have to worry about having different passwords because Apple's going to keep them all in one place for you where you can look them up and, and you actually have them auto-entered for you. Another feature that has been added to iOS that's been in macOS for a while is that Safari can suggest secure passwords when you create a new login. And these are long passwords. They're like 16 digits with letters and numbers and 
and special characters and all that. These are things you will never remember, but that no one will be able to figure out through, you know, a brute force attack. And this saves you all the problem of figuring out a password. And again, the, the two keys to a password manager, storing your passwords, secure passwords, and helping you make secure passwords so you don't constantly say, okay, name of my dog, um, three, six, four, that kind of thing. So these secure passwords are great. You don't have to remember them. You just look at them. They're really confusing and it's fine. And they're saved to your iCloud keychain. And that's really wonderful. So one other thing that I really like is a new feature that they've integrated in both iOS and macOS for two-factor authentication. Now, Josh, you're going to have a minute to explain why this isn't necessarily the best thing. But with two-factor authentication, you often get a six-digit code that comes over SMS. And you get the code and you look at your phone and you go back and you try to type it. And, oh, I missed the second digit. It was wrong. And so now it just automatically goes into that field where you're supposed to enter the code. And this is both on iOS and the Mac. And this is a huge time saver. You know what I've, I've said before, but this is this is worth repeating that if you have no other option for your second factor or second step authentication, use SMS because it's a lot better than just having a password. SMS has some problems, and so it would be better to use something like, for example, Google Authenticator, which is an app that you can have downloaded on your phone, and it gives you some limited time codes that you can use for your second factor. Um, it's better to use that. Um, th there's there are some ways that SMS can be uh, worked around. SMS by itself, the, the text messaging protocol is not inherently secure. And there are some ways that somebody can basically impersonate your phone and then receive those text messages that are supposed to be only going to your device. So that's why we generally recommend you know, only use SMS as a second factor if you have no other option from whatever service you're using. Right. And a lot of services don't offer another option. One thing that I've done recently, as you said earlier, we don't want to recommend specific password managers, but we do each use a specific password manager. I use 1Password and 1Password includes the feature that's in the Google Authenticator app. So basically you can create the one-time codes for any different website. So I have 1Password on my phone and on my Apple Watch on the phone, you choose which logins are going to go to the watch. And when I tap one of these on my watch, it automatically displays a six-digit code. So I don't even have to open an app on my phone. I can just go to the watch, find it, tap it, and type it. It's a lot quicker. It's always on my wrist. Whereas, you know, with the phone, you, you may have to fumble around through folders to get to it. There's another new feature that I find interesting, and you might think it's insecure. You can share a password via AirDrop from an iOS device to someone else. This could be considered insecure because you're sending this over like through the ether to someone else. But the way AirDrop works, you're going to be sending it to a contact and it's encrypted. So I don't know what you think about this, Josh. This is useful if, let's say, you have a friend and you want to send them your Wi-Fi password, which is 24 random characters and you don't want to have to type it and you're going to make mistakes 12 times. You send it by AirDrop, they tap it, it automatically goes into their iCloud keychain and they connect. Is this insecure at all? You know what? I think this is actually a really great way to to do that. In fact, that's the exact example that I was going to give a Wi-Fi password, because, you know, if you're if you follow our recommendations and, and have a really, uh, 
long Wi-Fi password. Very long. <laughs> then it's going to take you a long time to type that into a friend's device to get them on your network. And so this, if they have an iOS device, then this makes it really easy yes. to share that password with them. And now you don't have to type it. They don't have to type it. And they can still get on your on your network securely. Um, and, and now it's a lot quicker than it was before, which is great. Finally, another setting, and this is both in iOS and on the Mac in different places, you can find out which passwords you've reused. So if you go on iOS to settings, passwords and accounts, website and apps passwords, you'll see a list of different websites and you'll see little triangular black icons that indicate that there's something wrong. And if you tap it, you'll be able to change the password, go to the website and enter a new one. These little icons alert you to the fact that you have reused a password on multiple sites. The same thing is in Safari. If you go in Safari preferences, passwords, and then enter your user accounts password, you'll be able to see the same thing with little yellow icons. Interestingly, I have a whole bunch of websites where I have these little warning icons where I've reused the passwords. It's like amazon.com, associates.amazon.com, marketplace.amazon.com, signup.amazon.com, audible.com. So you may have websites where you're using the same login and password for different subdomains on a website, and there's nothing wrong with that. So don't panic about that, but use these alerts to let you know when you're using things on different websites. Yeah, that's really great advice. And again, something that I'm really happy to see Apple integrating, since they're going to be saving your passwords anyway, it's nice for them to to make you aware that, hey, this isn't a good idea to be reusing your password if it's across completely different unrelated websites. Yeah, but it is surprising how many websites have multiple subdomains, sign in dot this, login dot that, help dot this, forum dot that. It's, it's really amazing. I was going through mine. There were there were literally more than 100 cases of those alerts that were just because multiple multiple logins on a website. So on both iOS and macOS, there are some new Safari features, something that Apple calls intelligent tracking protection that they say helps prevent cross-site tracking by limiting access to cookies and other website data. We've talked about this in the past. This is basically just a privacy feature that means that you will be less targeted by specific ads. You won't be totally free of ads that are targeting you based on what you've looked at on Amazon, but the information that advertisers can collect is going to be more limited. Right. This is something that I'm glad that Apple is not, you know, kind of advertising this feature as something where it's going to completely protect you. <laughs> it's just anonymizing you more than you would be by default to a degree where hopefully advertisers across different sites are not going to be able to determine that you're the same person who's visiting these multiple sites. Another Safari feature in both operating systems is that Safari limits how websites can fingerprint you. Now, fingerprint is a little bit different. I think there are websites you can go to and you can get all this information that your browser sends to a website. It's actually quite stunning. You'll find which operating system you're using. You'll find your screen size in pixels. You'll find, uh, obviously, your IP address, and all sorts of information. And so Safari is blocking some of this because if you add up all these variables of different information, you can actually create personalized profiles. You can find that there's only one person in the world that has exactly this system with these plugins and this screen size and this version of this and that. So Apple is also blocking this similar to the intelligent tracking protection to just help protect your privacy a little bit more. 
this is something that I, I think is 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 nice. There's probably more that could be done here, but like I said, this is at least a good start that Apple is really focused on trying to protect its users' privacy. And this is something that's really good. And, and a lot of people kind of uh, <laughs> like Apple's stance on privacy in general because this is something that they know is important to Apple users. It's good to see companies kind of standing up for the user and doing things to try to protect their users. Just one last brief thing. There are some new permissions dialogues that you might see on the Mac. You probably know on iOS that you've always been asked whether a specific app can access the microphone or the camera, and macOS has never asked that, and so they've added that now. If you look at the article on the Intego Mac Security blog, I use a screenshot for Evernote, which is an app I use to collect data and to which you can create voice notes. So the first time I did it, it asks for permission to use the microphone. The same is the case for camera. The first time I launched Skype under Mojave, it asked me to grant permission. You can adjust all these permissions in the system preferences, security and privacy, and then privacy, where you have things like contacts, calendars, reminders, photos, camera, and microphone. And all of these can be unchecked if you've accidentally checked something. I'm so happy to see this. I, I have, have to say, this is such a great thing. This is something that I've loved about iOS. And I really love that this is in macOS now too, and that you have a nice interface where you can go and find out what permissions your apps have. It's a little ambiguous in iOS, and so Apple has some work to do there. But I really, really like that they've added this to macOS. Okay, that's it for this week. If you're still enjoying that American holiday where you consume a lot of food, well, consume a little bit more. Watch some football games and do what you do. And until next week, stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.